Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The jazz session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. This week's guest is Karen Allison. Her new album on Concord Records is called By Request, the best of Karen Allison. It's a collection of music from her 11 albums for the label, and it begins with Night and Day. Like the beat, beat, beat of the tom-tom when the jungle shadows fall. Like the tick-tick-tock of a stately clock as it stands against the wall Like the drip-drip-drip of a raindrop when the morning showers through So a voice within me keeps repeating You, you, you Night and day, you are the one only you beneath the moon and under the sun Whether near to me or far It's no matter, darling Where you are, I think of you Night and day Day and night Why is it so? That this feeling follows me wherever I go From the roaring traffic's boom To the silence of my lonely room I think of you night and day My guest is Karen Allison. Her new album is called By Request, the best of Karen Allison. It documents 11 albums made for the Concord record label over the years, and it is my pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Jason. My pleasure. Let's start right off with that that 11-album run on the same label. Can you talk a little bit about how you landed on Concord and, and what you to what you attribute the fact that you've kind of kept this relationship going for so long, which isn't all that common these days? You're right. It's not a common thing anymore. Uh, I feel very lucky to have been with Concord this long and to do projects that are near and dear to my heart. And they've always been really uh, open, open-armed about uh, the projects that I choose to do. So that's also a good thing. And I'm, I'm thrilled to have this best of thing. It kind of represents where we little snapshots of where I was and my band was at the time that we recorded them. So it's, it's a nice thing. Now, you had already uh, made a record before you ended up on Concord. Is that right? Yes. In fact, that would turn out to be the very first one. They picked that up as well. I, it was called I Didn't Know About You. But yes, I did self-produce that one in Kansas City without knowing even what a label was um, and just wanted something to represent our time then because I'd met this wonderful band and some of the folks which I still play of whom I, with whom I still play with today. And um, so I borrowed the money to do it, and then it was heard. I don't, I don't know if we want to get into this story, but it was a, that was the first album I did with um, on my own, and they bought it from me, and that was the very first one, it turned out. Well, actually, the story is the most interesting part, so let's get into it. Okay. 
So, uh, yeah, can you talk about the, the way in which it got heard and, and what happened after that? Sure enough. Um, I was doing a, a gig in Kansas City, which is where I was based then. I'm now in New York City for about 10 years now. Um, but uh, a woman came and liked our set a lot, and she bought a CD. In fact, I think I just announced that they were being pressed. I don't even think they were pressed at the time. So she put an order in, as it were. <laughs> I probably wrote it down on a bar napkin or something. And um, so she needed to call me again even because they, they, you know, as things go, they were maybe a four days late or something like that. So she, she was from the Bay Area, from San Francisco, and she said she knew a wonderful DJ in, at K-Jazz at the time and uh, who was into uh, new singers and that he, she thought maybe he would play our stuff if she sent it to him with a note. She did not know him, and his name turned out to be Stan Dunn. And Stan turned out to be not only the DJ for K-Jazz at the time, and he had this wonderful time slot <laughs> from 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. or something every weekday in the Bay Area, and he would play our stuff um, a lot during that time. So he started to get calls and uh, wondering how they could get a hold of the CD. Also, it turns out that Stan was the West Coast radio promoter of Concord Records. And so when I called him to thank him, because I was getting calls actually at the recording studio, which is what number was on the CD. <laughs> I didn't have my number on it. But um, I called him to thank him, and he said, well, I I'm, you know, get calls all the time. I'd like to introduce you to Carl Jefferson, who was the founder and president of Concord Records. I called Mr. Jefferson, and he called me back, and that was how the relationship began. And you've uh, you've kind of hinted at this already, but uh, Concord really has kind of allowed you to explore over the years. I mean, the, your albums, some of them have been uh, thematic and over a pretty broad range of themes. It seems like that's a pretty nice environment to be in, the resources of a label, but not the constraints of one, necessarily. Yeah, very good point. I remember when I first started to make, uh, not the first one or the second one particularly, Although the second one was the most, I won't say constrained, but they wanted me to come out to the West Coast. And as I said, I was based in Kansas City, and I had this wonderful base of musicians that I worked with there. And, but they wanted me to come out, and um, Carl Jefferson wanted to produce it and work with the Alan Broadbent Trio. Well, this is not a bad thing. So I jumped at the chance, of course, and it was a beautiful CD, I think, with still tunes of my choice and grooves of my choice. I remember getting together with Alan and uh, bringing my guitarist at that time, Danny Embry, with me. And the wonderful Bob Cooper was on that CD, Sherman Ferguson, um, Putter Smith, as I mentioned, Alan Broadbent, uh, Randy Sankey. And so those arrangements were written by Alan, but again, still with, with my um, suggestions and, and uh, desires in mind musically. So that was the, the only album that really they coaxed me into doing that I was a little hesitant about. Um, the further ones were thematic. Uh, after about the fifth album, it was about a, th a theme, which they really wanted me do to do from the beginning, but I was just learning tunes. So I was just, the, the, th the theme was, were songs I wanted to do and songs I loved. So that's a long answer to your, <laughs> your question. <laughs> that's all right. We don't have a time limit, so that's, that's the beauty of the show. <laughs> okay. Um, so... 
you uh, you've mentioned some of your your Kansas City uh, kind of cohort of musicians, and even over the years as you've had the ability to select uh, really whoever you you want to play with and have done that, you've always still kept true to that that original core also, and and brought those guys both out on tour and on record. Uh, can you talk about what made that original band of musicians uh, so so special to you, and what's kept those relationships alive? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, when I moved to Kansas City. I started out playing, I think, some solo gigs, but of course I was looking for rhythm players to connect with. And um, I happened to meet first um, Bob Bowman on bass, Paul Smith on piano, two great guitarists, Danny Embry and Rod Fleeman, a wonderful drummer, Todd Strait, and several others I could go on and mention within the Kansas City area. But those, those were the core people that I worked with, and again, Still continue to work with um, many of them. What made it special is that they already knew each other. Basically, I came. I kind of walked in with uh, work, a work ethic. You know, I, I wanted to to do gigs. I was doing two two a day. You know, or whatever. I needed musicians to work with, and I wanted to work with the best ones available. And so they already had this core thing going. I mean, every every singer or leader knows. You know, with not being a rhythm player, knows that you go into a city and you look for a core rhythm section. They already have their groove going on, so that was um, very lucky thing for me. So that's what really continues. And then we got our own um, relationships going um, as duos, as trios, as quartets, quintets, septets, everything you can, every permutation you can think of, and we had it going on then. Every morning find me moaning Cause of all the trouble I've seen Life's a losing gamble to me Cares and woes have got me moaning Every evening find me moaning I'm alone and crying the blues I'm so tired of paying these dues Everybody knows I'm moaning Lord, I spend plenty of days and nights Alone with my grief What I pray, really and truly pray Somebody will come and bring me relief Every morning find me moaning Cause of all the trouble I've seen you uh, you mentioned you know not not being a rhythm player and I, I do want to get on to the, oh. your your virtuosity as a shaker player in a few minutes but uh, you're also a pianist and it, it strikes me that um, the kind of uh, multifaceted skills that you have uh, maybe make it a little easier for you than some uh, to to kind of develop that that harmony uh, with the other rhythm section do you think that's right no that's exactly right in fact I didn't mean to say I'm not a rhythm player I think I am a rhythm player and. I think singing actually came, well, I know it did, it came later. Um, so I was a classical piano major uh, in college and loved playing all, all of my life. And um, so I kind of alluded to when I got to certain, well, I grew up in Omaha, but then I moved, uh, well, it's a long story, but I moved to the Bay Area for a while in, in high school and got involved in musical theater, moved back to Omaha after high school, graduating, and then got it. uh a scholarship to go to University of Nebraska at Omaha for a classical piano scholarship, which I did. And it was there that I discovered jazz. And so I started out by doing a lot of solo work, 
accompanying myself four to five hours a night um, doing that. And then I moved to Minneapolis where I met some great players as well, just continued on, and then I moved to Kansas City. But I am, I started out as a pianist, and I'm, I'm doing that more again. I think I let it go for a while because I was just into discovering the vocal part of jazz, and now I'm back to both, actually. <laughs> I don't. I don't want this to sound like a, a toss-off at all when I mention the shaker thing because, first of all, I really believe in the kind of centrality of percussion to a lot of the the music in the jazz canon, mm-hmm. and secondly, the way uh, the approach you've taken to Brazilian music in particular, um, it seems like being locked in with the rhythm in that way really benefits your music. Can you talk a little bit about kind of your use of percussion and then also how it how it affects your singing? Uh, another great question, and the shaker thing came. It was not. It was an afterthought, really. I'm not sure when I first started to use them, um, and but it was of, of course it was because of Brazilian music, which is very near and dear to my heart. Um, it was another way to get involved as a rhythm player because rhythm and time is everything in jazz, and I and I feel in music in general. Um, but it's it's a way to contribute to the time and to the groove. It's not a way to to distract from it or to um, point attention to where it doesn't belong and where it belongs on the rhythm, on the groove. So that was a way to help me. Um, I think when somebody's taking a solo and I'm not playing piano, for example, it's a way for me to be involved with setting the groove where I want it. And I really feel that body, your body is a way to um, to help help integrate that you know and so, because it is our instrument and so that's that's partly where i come from with that does the shaker affect the band's dynamics as well because it's not a particularly it can sometimes cut but it's not a particularly loud instrument that's a good question i really don't think about it that much um i know i put it when i when i know it's a real groover i put it up next to my vocal mic you know, but it's, it's we never sound check on something like that. Um, you know, so I haven't really haven't really given it a lot of thought. But um, so there's not a shaker channel on the soundboard. Huh? No, well, <laughs> not that I'm aware of. There's one bubble pop for there's me. There's too I many to other things to, to worry about on the soundboard. <laughs> uh, just staying in the in the Brazilian thing for a minute. Can you mm-hmm. talk about how you developed uh, a fluency with with Portuguese, which doesn't seem like the world's easiest language to sing in or to speak for that. <laughs> Well, I wish I were fluent. It's it's a fluency is a good way to put it. When I'm singing, and I've had a great amount of coaching in it, um, most recently from a dear friend who lives in New York, um, about five blocks from me now, Lucia Guimaraes, and she's from Rio, and so she coached me in the Rio dialect. Before that, and that was mostly for Imagina, and also um, tunes before that when we knew each other, but. Before that, it, were, it was mostly musicians that I knew in Kansas City. Um, there was a wonderful band. There is a wonderful, wonderful band. They're still called Sons of Brazil. And Danny Embry, the great guitarist, was a part of that. Stan Kessler, Doug Allwater, who's the percussionist, who's a Brazil, Brazilophile uh, to the nth degree, has helped me a lot, too, as did a gentleman we met when we went to Brazil for the first time way back when, a percussionist, Luis. So I've had good, good, uh, loving coaxing along the way, and um, I love the, the language and the, the groove so much. And I think so many people have heard, uh, you know, Jobim and that kind of thing, that 
it might sound easy, but it, the music is really rhythmically complex if you're going to play it correctly. Mm. Did that take a while to, to kind of get some, some mastery of as well? I think so. I think it's important for players, and I include singers in the players' comment, that want, want to embrace that music as would be any music, bebop or blues or any kind of um, direction. You need to go hear it live a lot and um, be a sponge with it. Not expecting to sit in all the time, just let it let it absorb you know let it absorb within you um, and it does take a while uh it should sound any kind of any kind of thing should sound easy, I guess, but with that as you're mentioning you know with that little bent say, "Wow, it sounds easy, but I bet that's not so easy and Brazilian music has so much going for it, not just the grooves, of course, but I think that's the first thing that hits us as westerners, but the harmonies, the melodies. The language, the poetry, um, it's, it's, it's pretty deep. Oopatu, the duck was dancing by the water, quack, 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 the rhythm made him think he ought to quack, quack. He was answered to the samba, the samba, the samba, oh, goose, the goose was gaining, passing by, honk, 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 he stopped and gave the dance a try, honk, honk, he was answered to the samba, the new thing, the new swing. Then a lovely swan swam by in all the majesty Then she loosened up Hoochie-coochie-coo did that swan She joined the duck and goose and did the samba too You should have seen the kind of samba she could do They did the samba so long they all fell right in the water While they were swinging away Quack, 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 quack Quack, 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 quack Quack, quack Switching gears a little bit, uh, in my opinion, one of the, your your gutsier album moves um, was the ballads. Remembering John Coltrane record, um, he made a record called Ballads, and it was very very famous. And you chose the same repertoire, uh, but certainly put your own very distinct spin on it. And that's what I wanted to ask you about. How do you approach uh, a fairly canonical recording and and put your own stamp on it? Well, I had been listening to that CD or album for years and years, and it was in my bones. I I think I remember talking to my guitarist at the time, Danny Embry, and I just sort of said, boy, wouldn't it be cool if somebody did that? It was one of his favorite CDs, too. Uh, vocally, just in the same order, with the same types of arrangements, the same feeling, the same vibe, if you will. And he's, and he's, you know, I work with, I don't work with players who are easy or easily, uh, um, coaxed into anything that's not for real. That's not where I'm at and that's not where they are at. Um, so he seemed to think it was a good idea. I, I think then I probably asked my sweetie Bill what he thought about it, Bill McLaughlin. And then I would probably have asked Nick Phillips, my producer at Concord. And when I say my producer, it sounds kind of, uh, flip, but it's he, Nick has become a real musical um, ally, and um, he's also a musician and not just a record uh, record company guy. And so I've really depended on his um, feelings and, and opinions on things. So I think you have to love it so much first. And yes, it was scary to do that, and then get the greatest players that you think can do do justice to that music, which I think we did. James Williams. Um, John Patitucci, Louis Nash, they were the rhythm section. 
and then we got some great horn players, Steve Wilson. We, we got some great horn players for that CD, so that was where I wanted to come from on it. The uh, one of the tracks on here uh, from the album In Blue uh, is the tune Monin, and I didn't I didn't get to vote. I understand, but for the next by request, uh, my vote is going to be from a, a much earlier record, the the version of Joy Spring that you did, which I still think is the the vocal version of Joy Spring out there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're quite welcome. Um, and can you talk a little bit about uh, kind of the demands of vocalese? And I'm, I'm guessing there's like some Lambert Hendricks and Ross in the background on your record player from the days gone by. Oh my gosh, they were the, one of the first people I ever listened to vocally. Yes, I remember wearing their albums out. And now I feel so honored to have worked with John Hendricks and have at least met and sat in with Annie Ross, and I didn't get to meet Mr. H- Mr. Lambert, but um, anyway, yeah, what a, what a thrill. So, Joy Spring, I think Danny Embry uh, arranged that for horns, and I'm recalling it right now, and I think it featured Mike Matheny on trumpet, or flugel, I can't remember, and I think it was trumpet. And um, vocalese is, is another discipline, I guess, if you will. It's 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 the bebop vocal. <laughs> I don't know. You know, vocalese in the classical world is a whole different thing. It's singing, yes, singing songs without lyrics for a singer, but a lot of times it's sustained stuff. And in jazz, it's not sustained. It's, you know, it's, um, it's without words, but really still trying to convey a message, of course, which is what we're always trying to do. I wanted to uh, to ask, I know that your your personal tastes run outside the world of jazz also, and, and you've delved into those worlds, too, uh, on, on some of your records. And can you talk about some of the people kind of outside the, the more traditional jazz world uh, who you grew up kind of listening to and, and still find influences? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just toss out some names right away. Let's see. Bonnie Raitt, Joni Mitchell, Aretha Franklin, James Taylor... Cat Stevens. Um, I'm sensing a singer-songwriter vibe Carly here, except Simon. for Aretha. Well, I was a <laughs> 70s child, so, you know, I mean, that's when I was listening to the radio, and the, and when radio really, I would go out, I would listen to these, these tunes on the radio and then go out and buy the sheet music and sit down at the piano, just, and not because I was performing, because I was only 16, whatever, but or younger, but uh, because I wanted to sing these songs that spoke to me and play them. And um, so those, there, I could go on. Um, I played in funk bands, wedding bands, variety bands, <laughs> solo gigs, duo gigs, with all kinds of styles of music. Um, so I, I, you know, Taj Mahal. I just, I can't believe it. I've recently just discovered him, and I love his stuff. Um, and I know I'm forgetting people right now, but those, I'm just throwing some some um, non-jazzers out there. Well, uh, several of the people that you just mentioned are very kind of uh, confessional and, and intimate singer-songwriters. Does that does that approach uh, influence the way that you approach your own singing, and m- maybe even more so your kind of rapport with an audience? That's a great point. I think confessional is a very good description. Um, I think it is from with what we do and my approach to it. Sometimes it's, well... You know, with stuff like Oscar Brown Jr. Um, tunes, where it's stuff that you really have to exclaim or proclaim, that I'm not really afraid of either. But I don't want to stay there for very long. And then you could turn around and do 
humdrum blues of Oscar Brown Jr., for example, and then turn around and do A Tree in Me, which is poetry and this sweet little um, uh, homage to uh, loving nature. <laughs> so you can, um, you can go both ways, and I think it's important to display in an honest way who you are as a person, and that's going to connect with the audience because they really want to they re- they want to know you I think and 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 they'll know themselves a little better somehow I don't know when they leave. Can you talk about uh, kind of audience reactions over the years and and just what it's what it's been like kind of in in room after room and in all different settings kind of connecting with people who who love this music? Well, I can tell you that it's um it's so varied as as varied as the artists I just mentioned um and I should have said something about Billy Joel because I loved his stuff and one of his tunes is on our best of CD um, it can be as varied as saying I love that song from Billy Joel to Joy Spring which is of course a whole other story Clifford Brown um, to the blues to it's as varied as the songs we sing the reaction and the audience I mean it's a jazz audience usually but I'm always hoping to reach out to a, a larger audience because, and because I know that people can, my my interests are as varied as, as theirs are, and it's nice to turn each other on to things that maybe we wouldn't have thought about before. Is there any uh, sneak peek you can give me about uh, some of the things that might be coming up from you uh, on on record in the in the years ahead? Well, let me see. This is um, I'm hoping to write more and to concentrate on stuff like that, um, and I am also doing some projects with my. My colleague Chris Caswell, who was so, um, <laughs> for lack of a better word, instrumental in <laughs> in our CD called Footprints, because he wrote all, a lot of the new lyrics on that to these great jazz classics. So he and I are working together on some stuff, and um, so I, I think original material, concentrating on playing some more piano, um, working with, continuing to work with great players, and um, you know keeping on <laughs> well the new record is called by request the best of Karen allison uh, documents uh, her years and also has uh, i should mention has uh, at least one unreleased track on it as well so even if you have every one of those records uh, there is still new music to be had on here uh, it's on the concord record label and uh Karen, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and thank you for coming on the show jason it's been my pleasure thanks so much thank you very much bye bye Do you tell your heart When your world falls apart How do you smile and move on Where do you start Do you find your way When your dreams go astray Where is tomorrow once you've lost 
yesterday I never counted on this That's Karen Allison from her album By Request, the best of Karen Allison on the Concord record label. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by allaboutjazz.com the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, mp3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. The Jazz Session has an email mailing list, which is a great way to win free music. You can sign up at thejazzsession.com. If you're on Facebook, there's a group for The Jazz Session, and I give away music there, too. The theme music for this show is by The Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo. The Jazz Session is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States license, and more information about that is found at thejazzsession.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm really glad you're here. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Hit it, Red. Thank you for listening. Bye.